0: Oh, yes, we rotate 360 degrees, High
1: ha, 360 degrees, ha, ha, 360, 360, 360,
2: 360 degrees, High ha. Good evening and welcome to Full Circle, your cultural affairs radio magazine produced by apprentices of the first voice media action program. On tonight's show, you will hear the profound personalities of the people birthed in the month of April. We're going to go with Gil Scott Heron, April 1st, Maya Angelou, April 4th, Billie Holiday, April 7th, Paul Robeson, April 9th, Charles Mingus, April 22nd. And last but not least, we're going to actually skip a little bit of April going to May to talk about a May Day event up next on Full Circle. I am your host, Stevie G.
3: to contribute myself I was writing down and putting all the categories together I ain't got no money I ain't got no job blues I ain't got no woman blues then I said wait a minute see I don't want to waste no categories I don't I ain't got no money blues I ain't got no job blues I ain't got no woman blues hell them the same thing (laughs) because if I could get me a job I could make me some money I could call me a lady I'd be doing a whole bunch better so I put them all in the same category but I wrote other pieces of blues, blues information because what had happened was that I had found out later on, unfortunately, in my education about people like Langston Hughes, about people like Sterling Brown, about people like County Cullen and Gene Toomer and Claude McKay. And these people had taken the blues as a poetry form back in the 20s and the teens during the Harlem Renaissance, and they had fine-tuned the blues. They had sanded it down so that it became a remarkable sort of an art form. But what happened is that in many instances, we didn't learn about that. We learned about the kind of poetry that nobody could understand. Like on 17th Street, 9th Avenue, when I was a teenager, man, we didn't want to hear nothing about poetry. Somebody say something about poetry, we say, oh, yeah, where's he at? (laughs) Name him over here. Because we was into shooting the jumper. and That was damn near all. So in the ninth grade, like a teacher sneaked up on us and put these pieces of paper on. What now outside the wall I see a shadow of an image of me. I said, Well, god damn, let me read this again. What <laughs> now outside the walls? In the back of the room, somebody said, Hey, this must be deep. <laughs> you know, like this must be deep is like a drape that we throw over everything. You know, like like what we must be. This must be deep means that like. I recognize all of these words individually. <laughs> but damn, if I can get anything out of the order in which they currently appear, this must be deep. I mean, because you figure it must be deep, it's in this book. You say, well, why the hell would they put it in this book if it didn't mean nothing? Because ordinarily, you read that, it don't mean nothing to you. You say, hey, this must be nonsense. But you don't want to say that with the teacher standing right next to you. They say, why you give me this, you know? So you say, hey, this must be deep. <laughs> and what happens is that when a lot of folks get ready to write poetry, that's what they decide they're going to be, deep. They decide they're going to be poetic. So they come up to me, people come up to me sometimes and say, hey, read my poem. I read it. But <laughs> now outside the wall I see. <laughs> and the only thing I can say to them is, hey, this must be deep. <laughs> Because like like being influenced by the kind of poetry that we were all introduced to. People feel as though like the way to be poetic is to make sure that there's certain little parts of it can't nobody understand. Why would you need a poet to make things more complex? Two winos can make things more complex. One of them say to the other one, well, is it but is that you And the other one looked at him right serious and say, yeah. <laughs> and they communicated. You see, if communication is what it's all about, as far as most people sitting around watching it, it could have been two poets talking to one another. They didn't have a clue. So the idea became not only to use ideas that were familiar to people in the community, but to use the language that everybody could understand. Of course, this poetry was always put down as steep poetry because... Of course, that's where the people were. People were on the street, and these were the people that you wanted to communicate with. Did an idea one time about how often it is that folks brother and sister one another and how rare it is that something actually comes out of that that people can grasp onto. Did a poem about the fact that oftentimes the people who are doing the most talking and the kind of conversations that you run into around this neighborhood should be the ones doing the most listening. The poem we did was called Billy Green is Dead. The economy's in an uproar. The whole damn country's in the red. The taxi fares is going up. What? You say Billy Green is dead. The government can't decide on busing, or at least that's what they said. Yeah, I heard you when you told me you said that Billy Green was dead. But let me tell you about these hot pants that this big leg sister wore when I was partying the other night. what you say? Billy took an overdose. Well, now, junkies will be junkies, but did you see Gunsmoke last night? Man, they had themselves a shootout, and folks were dying left and right. At the end, when Matt was cornered, I had damn near give up hope. Why you keep on interrupting me? You say, my son is taking dope. Well, then call the law and call the doctor. What you mean I shouldn't scream? My only son is on narcotics. Should I stand here like I'm pleased? Is that familiar anybody? Check out what's inside your head, you see. Never seems to matter when it's Billy Green
2: who's dead. All right, all right. So we were just listening to Mr. Gil Scott Heron. And Gil was born in April 1st, 1949, and he transitioned in May of uh, 2011. Uh, Gil Scott was a poet, novelist, musician, a songwriter. Uh, he was born in Chicago, Illinois, uh, and um, to... a uh, Bobby Scott Heron, who's a librarian, and also to uh, Gil Heron, a Jamaican professional soccer player. He grew up in Lincoln, Tennessee, uh, and also the Bronx, New York. He eventually attended Lincoln University in Pennsylvania, uh, but he dropped out, not for just any reason, but to write his first novel, and he received his master's in creative writing from Johns Hopkins University. So we're talking about a very prolific person, uh, a a renaissance man, uh, someone who was a a young boy at age 13, uh, wrote a collection of poems, uh, published again his first novel, The Vulture, a murder mystery, at the age of 19. And again, dropped out of college just to do that. Uh, So uh, Gil Scott, was uh, he released more than 15 albums, and he was just really known as a great musician and songwriter. He was also known for his oral performance. Uh, Scott, uh, excuse me, Gil walked into the uh, onto the international stage simultaneously, as did a lot of artists at that time. And this would be Amiri Baraka. This would be Hakeem Adabudi, Sonia Sanchez and Nikki Giovanni. So within that space, uh, he shared this connection uh, of his contemporaries and their conviction was that art must be functional. And therefore, uh, as an artist and community leader, he must embrace his role as a significant political voice inevitably committed to the liberation of black people. So along with that, we want to get back into some Gil Scott Heron. And here we go. How's
3: everybody? Everybody all right? How's with the vibrations are still strong. We are still strong, and anxious to see you. And glad that so many of you could come out and join us this evening to share vibrations with us. My name, of course, is Gil Scott Heron, and my, my organization and my family is called the Midnight Band. And we are here this evening to, to bring you some midnight vibrations. We are convinced that midnight is the first minute of a new day. And we are further convinced that we are entitled to a new day. And we are further convinced that we are going to have to establish the new day by communicating a little bit more closely with one another. So we, have, so we have been spreading the word about some vibes that concern communication from place to place. And we have been trying to get into the New York vibration as it concerns this communication. What we are talking about has evolved as the ghetto code. The ghetto code, oftentimes referred to as dot, dot, did it, dot, dot, dash. Sounds a little bit, people used to tell me, says sound like the Morse code. We call it more so the remorse code. The ghetto code, the damn if I know. Dot, dot, did it, dot, dot, dash means damn if I know. And the reason this has become such a popular phrase in different black communities around the nation is because there are more and more things black people thought they had a handle on that they have seen sort of slowly slip away from them, and they would be saying, "Well, damn, what happened to that?" Da, da did it. Da da, da. I, I'm damn if I know. For example, we started to re-investigate astrology, found out that it was an ancient art form, a science, something that we could depend on more so than Walter Concrete, and if I know. But other problems, we would still like to see some like JFK, you believe all that? RFK, you believe that? MLK, you believe that? Malcolm X, you believe that? All of this was some great big old C coincidence or just a little bitty C, conspiracy. There are two questions that concern us very much about the letter C. The first one is the CIA. Who hell runs that organization? The second one is who runs this country? Dot, dot, did it, dot, dot, dash. Damn, if I know. Brothers and sisters, thank you very much. The First Minute Experience, The Midnight Band. Thank you. Thank you. Sometimes I feel like I'm just wasting my time Looking for another side Sometimes I feel like I'm just losing my mind Cause there ain't no other side Sometimes I feel like I'm just spinning my wheels Ain't no big deal Morning there's another side Sometimes I feel like I'm just standing in place Ain't no real race, and ain't no other side. Life is like a circle, and you end the way you started. You end the way you started. If you end the way you started, ain't no other side. But if life is like a curtain Then I'm 90% certain that I'm looking through at something Yes, I'm almost touching something On the other side Yeah The opposite of new is old The opposite of young is old Seems like Seems like everything Everything has got another side The young ones want to be old ones, old ones know what they can do if they were young ones. People ain't, people ain't never really satisfied. Folks ain't never satisfied. If life is like a mirror, then the nearer you get clearer, you can see it so much clearer. Feel like you know about the other side. My friends all swear they know uh, Friends all swear they know uh, What I should do with my life How I should run my life What should be happening in my life They're on the other side Yeah, they're on the outside I'm on the inside They're on the outside I'm on the inside Yes, and things always look so much better From the other side Four o'clock in the morning, they don't know. All the things I've been needing, they don't know. I'm breaking out in a sweat and I'm sweating, they don't know. Feeling bad and they don't know. Feeling down and they don't know. Feeling down and they don't know. They don't know the other side.
2: All right, all right. So that was Brother Gil, Gil Scott Heron. And, again, just some of that electric music he plays, the electric, edgy, you know, the angry sounds uh, that he would create with his fusion of soul, jazz, blues, and poetry. And often in collaboration with the musician Brian Jackson, who he went to school with, I believe, at Lincoln University. So it would make him a forerunner to a later generation of rap artists, particularly socially conscious rappers. So that would be a Tupac Shakur That would be a Chuck D, the Dr. Dre. Gil Scott Heron released his latest album, uh, which was February in 2010. And unfortunately, Gil Scott passed away. He transitioned in a Manhattan hospital on May 27th, 2011, and he was 63 at the time. with that, we want to try to start to transition into our next artist, and that would be Miss Maya Angelou, who was born April 4th, 1928, and transitioned in 2014. So Miss Johnson, she was born Marguerite Johnson in St. Louis, Missouri, in 1928. She received the nickname Maya from her brother Baldwin. At the age of four, Maya and her brother were sent to live with her grandmother in Stamps, Arkansas. A couple of years later, they moved back to St. Louis to live with their mother, but were soon returned to Stamps after Maya was molested by her mother's boyfriend. And then she turned mute. After her return to Stamps, Maya Johnson began to read voraciously and listen intently to everything that happened around her. And by high school... Her voice had returned. Johnson, then 15, and her brother were reunited with their mother, who was now living in San Francisco, California. One year later, she graduated from high school while pregnant. And in the years after, her son, Clyde, was born Johnson, worked voraciously, excuse me, worked at various jobs in terms of cooking, uh, a cook, a dancer, a driver, and a singer. And she was married briefly in 1952. To If I get this right here, Anastasios Angelopoulos, a Greek sailor, Angelo Poulos, a Greek sailor. I'm sorry. So she adopted this name, Maya Angelou, by combining her nickname with a shortened version of her ex-husband's last name. After visiting 22 countries for performances, Angelou quit the show after her son became ill. And she and Clyde returned briefly to San Francisco, but then moved to New York City where she joined the Harlem Writers Guild to hone her writing skills. And at the age of 38, at the urging of James Baldwin, Angela began writing a series of autobiographical books, including I Know Why the Caged Bird Sings, The Heart of a Woman, All Guys' Children Need Traveling Shoes. This was a woman of prodigious abilities, prodigious skills. And with that, I'd like to tune into uh, a poem that she did. And I believe when she did this, this was just the second poet ever to appear um, at, an, at, an, at a presidential inauguration. And we are going to listen to Miss Maya Angelou. Mr.
0: President and Mrs. Clinton, Mr. Vice President and Mrs. Gore, and Americans everywhere. A rock, a river, a tree, hosts to species long since departed, marked the mastodon, the dinosaur, who left dry tokens of their sojourn here on our planet floor. Any broad alarm of their hastening doom is lost in the gloom of dust and ages. But today, the rock cries out to us, clearly, forcefully, come, you may stand upon my back and face your distant destiny, but seek no haven in my shadow. I will give you no hiding place down here you created only a little lower than the angels have crouched too long in the bruising darkness have lain too long face down in ignorance your mouths spilling words armed for slaughter the rock cries out to us today you may stand upon me but do not hide your face Across the wall of the world, a river sings a beautiful song. It says, come, rest here by my side. Each of you, a bordered country, delicate and strangely made, proud, yet thrusting perpetually under siege. Your armed struggles for profit have left collars of waste upon my shore, currents of debris upon my breast, yet today... I call you to my riverside, if you will study war no more. Come, clad in peace, and I will sing the songs the creator gave to me when I and the tree and the rock were one. Before cynicism was a bloody seer across your brow, and when you yet knew, you still knew nothing. The river sang and sings on. There is a true yearning to respond to the singing river and the wise rock. So say the Asian, the Hispanic, the Jew, the African, the Native American, the Sioux, the Catholic, the Muslim, the French, the Greek, the Irish, the rabbi, the priest, the sheik, the gay, the straight, the preacher, the privileged, the homeless, the teacher. They all hear the speaking of the tree. They hear the first and last of every tree speak to humankind today. Come to me, here beside the river. Plant yourself beside the river. Each of you, descendant of some passed on traveler, has been paid for. You who gave me my first name. You Pawnee, Apache, Seneca. You Cherokee nation, who rested with me, then forced on bloody feet, left me. To the employment of other seekers, desperate for gain, starving for gold. You, the Turk, the Arab, the Swede, the German, the Eskimo, the Scot. You, the Ashanti, the Yoruba, the crew, bought, sold, stolen, arriving on a nightmare, praying for a dream. Here, root yourselves beside me. I am that tree planted by the river which will not be moved. I, the rock, I, the river, I, the tree, I am yours. Your passages have been paid. Lift up your faces. You have a piercing need for this bright morning dawning for you. History, despite its wrenching pain, cannot be unlived, but if faced with courage, need not be lived again. Lift up your eyes upon this day breaking for you. Give birth again to the dreams. Women, children, men, take it into the palms of your hands. Mold it into the shape of your most private need. Sculpt it into the image of your most public self. Lift up your hearts. Each new hour holds new chances for new beginnings. Do not be wedded forever to fear, yoked eternally to brutishness. The horizon leans forward offering you space to place new steps of change. Here, on the pulse of this fine day, you may have the courage to look up and out and upon me, the rock, the river, the tree, your country, no less to Midas than the mendicant, no less to you now than the Mastodon then. Here, on the pulse of this new day, you may have the grace to look up and out And into your sister's eyes, and into your brother's face, your country, and say simply, very simply, with hope, good morning.
2: And so we were just listening to Maya Angelou speaking at the inauguration for one uh, President Bill Clinton back in 1993. And what we heard, uh, which might feel strange in this moment of uh, confused political times, we had a very inclusive poem that had everybody, that spoke about everybody, that spoke about our community. And along those lines, we here at KPFA are all about community. And just so you know, we do have, at this time, an opening for apprentices to join the First Voice Apprenticeship Program. And we want to make sure that we afford everyone that opportunity. So please, if you have a phone, dial 617, excuse me, I'm sorry, 510. I'm thinking of my Boston days, aren't I? 510-848-6767 extension 235 and online at uh, kpfaapprentice.org and please find that application fill out that application and join this community become part of the next group group 45 where you too get to learn about uh, audio production uh, storytelling commentaries vox pops All these great and wonderful things, but more importantly than that, you get to join this this community, this family, and you too get to bring your perspective, your unique perspective, and your voice into this collective. So we are very much looking forward to seeing you join and apply, and we are looking forward to it. Up next, I've got a little music coming from you, and again, we're going to stay in the vein of Miss Maya Angelou. (laughs)
4: Me cry, and the you, you see, see my the blood so hey, 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 in hey, my veins. Hey, hey, yes, my drums are
2: You are listening to 94.1 KPFA in Berkeley and I am your host Stevie G and we are spending some time here listening to some of the ancestors who've passed on and some from the month of April and in this case this would be a Miss Maya Angelou again born April 4th. So I wanted to uh, also um, say one more time about the Apprenticeship program and how to contact and reach out. So that would be five one zero eight four eight six seven six seven extension two three five, and online at apprentice dot So please, please reach out and connect. And as we continue with our show here in these April months, we want to. Um, Transition out of uh, Miss Maya Angelou, who had uh, transitioned May 28th, 2014. And she actually died um, in her home in Winston-Salem uh, at the time. And she died, and when she passed, she was actually 86 years of age. And from her, what I'd like to do is transition or move towards uh, Miss Billie Holiday, who was born April 7th. She was born April uh, 7, 1915, and she transitioned in 1959. And Billie Holiday is considered by many critics and fans to have been one of the most important jazz vocalists of the 20th century. Uh, she had a difficult life of poverty, abusive relationships, and drug abuse. But it helped give her voice a very deep and raw emotion that was expressed in the music that she sang. Billie Holiday was born Eleanor Fagan on April 7, 19, Philado- excuse me, 1915 in Philadelphia, Pennsylvania. Uh, born to two teenagers, unmarried parents, Sarah and Clarence, Clarence Holiday. And not long after Eleanor's birth, uh, Clarence Holiday abandoned his family to pursue a career as a jazz banjo and guitar player. And so what we had is we had a... Um, a young Eleanor, and by the age of 14, Holiday was a, uh, uh, Eleanor was a prostitute in New York's Harlem. And after a brief period, when she and her mother were in jail for prostitution, again, she did have some family issues and some trouble and some, a number of issues. Uh, Holiday escaped, excuse me. Uh, Eleanor had escaped that life by singing in Harlem nightclubs. And it was at that time she changed her name, choosing her first name after a favorite movie actress, Billy Dove, and adopting the surname of her absent musician father, Clarence Holliday. And with that, I'd actually like to trend uh, to move over into an interview that she had done once. And let's take a listen.
5: We mentioned our star spot, and this is time for it. No better way of introducing her than playing just a few measures of that well-known holiday voice on the record of which you just listened. And here she is, Lady Day herself, Miss Billie Holiday. (laughs) Well, Miss Holiday, it's indeed a pleasure to have you here at our broadcast of Turn Back the Turntables right here and now. I want to thank you. Thank you so ever so much for coming over from your show over at the Strand. By the way, how is it going?
6: Well, very well. They say we're breaking records.
5: They say? <laughs> well, who's they? Variety? Yes. The people who know. Well, that's wonderful, Miss Holiday. Who's over there on the show with you, by the way?
6: Count Basie, Stump and Stumpy, Miss Ephrays, mm, a few others.
5: And Billy Holiday. Let's talk about Billy Holiday. Let's get back to you. Well, that record back there that we just played was made when? Do you remember making that one?
6: Oh, I think that was around 39 or
5: 40. Back in 39 or 40. <laughs>
6: yes.
5: Uh, who, who was the group? We mentioned um, some of the instrumentalists on it.
6: Roy was on it, right, Roy huh. Benny Goodman, Ted Wilson.
5: Some of the big names <laughs> swing. Well, Miss Holliday, are you a collector yourself by any chance? Well, no, not particularly. Well, you know, this is no secret, of course, that wherever musicians gather and talk about singers, or wherever other singers talk talking about singers, they generally elect you as their favorite. Now, who is your favorite? Has the favorite got a favorite?
6: Oh, well, I've got several.
5: <laughs> All right, Would do you mind telling me? You don't have to mention other lady singers you can You can confine it to baritones if you like. How's that
6: no well i, I love Joe Stafford.
5: uh her... she's a lady yes, sir
6: <laughs> <laughs> and i uh I'm very fond of Teddy nationally. I think Benny is great. Are you sure? I mean, I could go on for 15
5: minutes. Oh, well, no, you can't, because we have to get around to other things. Uh, Miss Holiday, would you care to tell us about some of the record sessions you were in? Now, that one back there, for instance, that was made here in New York, I suppose.
6: Yes, it was. Well, the first record I ever made, it was with Benny Goodman. I was 14 years old. Um,
5: were you scared? Before,
6: in the program, I heard you uh, say something about a blue-colored uh, record. Uh-huh. It was a blue-colored record, too.
5: One of the rare videos.
6: It was titled Your Mother's Son-in-Law.
5: Your mother's son-in-law? <laughs> <laughs> well, I'm sure, I'm sure that our collectors here have that. Uh, what else would you like to tell us? Ask me something. All right. I, <laughs> I, I certainly will. What, what would you say is your favorite record of all time, of all that you've made?
6: That I've made? Mm-hmm. Oh, gee. Well, offhand, I mean, I'd say no more. Toots Camerota wrote it.
5: Uh-huh. Th- that comparatively recent?
6: Yes, yeah, so I was only about
5: three years old. I tell you what, here's a wonderful opportunity. You were you were saying, ask me. Here's a wonderful opportunity for some of these record collectors who've been collecting records of yours so avidly. Here's their opportunity to do some asking in person. Would you mind if we had a question from Mr. Grower or Mr. Weil or Mr. Meltzer over there? I <laughs>
6: uh, mind. Fire away, gentlemen.
5: It. Mr. Grower, you look eager. Um, Billy, I'm just wondering if you might tell us how people began to call you Lady Day. <laughs>
6: Well, Lester Young gave me the name.
5: Does it signify anything special? Just a
6: sort of a well, twist. Well, he just I'm the lady of song. Jesus.
5: Oh, I've got a question I've been burning to ask, and I almost forgot about it. You have a most unusual style. Everybody says that. How did you develop it? Did it just come out of the? Well, fingernail? I
6: always wanted to sing like Louis Armstrong played. I always wanted to uh, sing like an instrument. You know, like uh, any instrument. You know.
5: Well, I guess that's why all the instrumentalists are so crazy about your style. Well, there's my question. I retire in favor of Mr. Wilde. Well, I don't have any question. I'd just like
6: to tell Miss Holliday that I'll be seeing you as the favorite number of my book. Thank you very much.
5: Mr. Meltzer, it's your turn. Oh, my favorite is Gloomy Sunday. Yeah. (laughs) All right, there are all the questions that we dare fire at you. I know you're in a hurry to get back to your show over at the Strand... Thanks again a million, Billie Holiday.
6: Thank
2: you, Anna. Okay, so that was an interview with Miss Billie Holiday. You know, she, um, in 1937, she uh, worked with Count Basie, and by 1938, she worked with Artie Shaw, becoming the first black woman singer to tour with a mostly white band. And on April 20th, 1939, Holiday recorded her most controversial song, Strange Fruit, which was an unabashed protest of Southern lynching. It became her second biggest selling record, but it also prompted a visit from the FBI. Her most popular recording, God Bless the Child, came when Holiday's mother, now a restaurant, excuse me, at, the, at one point a restaurant owner, refused to give Holiday money. She reportedly stormed out of the restaurant saying, God bless the child that's got his own. A band member heard the words, turned them into a song, and Holiday recorded it in 1940. God bless the child became Holiday's only million selling record. But what we're going to do here is we're going to listen to one of Miss Billie Holiday's favorite songs. Let's listen.
7: No more No how Love goes just so
2: She performed at venues such as sold-out Carnegie Hall and in 1948 and later that year starred in a Broadway musical titled Holiday on Broadway. Yet her success was not enduring, often recounting the misery in her personal life in song during this period from several abusive husbands. Uh, She expressed her emotions in her voice and created extraordinarily powerful recordings against a background of deep despair and depression. She had an addiction to heroin that sent her life in a rapid downward spiral. And she was uh, repeatedly arrested and eventually lost her cabaret license in 1950. So a 44-year-old Billie Holiday died on July 17, 1959, of cirrhosis of the liver in a metropolitan hospital in New York City. An amazing voice and amazing talent. Just gone way, way too soon and way before her time. But we love her. And from there, I'd like us to um, start to talk about a giant in American history, um, a giant in world history. Uh, And this would be the man named Paul Robeson, who was born April 9th in 1898. And he transitioned in 1976. Now, we're talking about a prolific personality. Uh, Paul Robeson, uh, best known as a world-famous athlete, a singer, an actor. Uh, He was an advocate for human rights of people throughout the world over. And through the course of his career, Robinson combined all these activities into a lifelong quest for racial justice. He used his deep baritone voice to communicate the problems and progress associated with black culture and community, and to assist the labor and social movements of his time. He sang for multiracial and multiethnic peace and justice in 25 languages throughout the United States, Europe, and Africa. A Renaissance man. Robeson was born in Princeton, New Jersey on April 9, 1898. His mother was from a prominent local mixed-race family, and his father was a former slave who escaped from a plantation before the Civil War. Robeson was the youngest of four children. Robeson left uh, left for college and attended Rutgers University. It was there he became an All-American football player. And received a Phi Beta Kappa key for his scholarship and graduated as class valedictorian. Robeson entered the New York University Law School in 1919 and while there supported himself by serving as the assistant football coach at Lincoln University, where he joined Alpha Phi Alpha Fraternity. Robeson left New York University Law School in 1920, moved to Harlem and transferred to Columbia University Law School where he graduated from that institution in 1923 while playing professional football for the Akron Pros coached by Fritz Pollard. And if anyone knows their sports and sports history, Fritz Pollard was the um, uh, African-American football coach who, before Art Shell in 1989, uh, he was the known uh, a black head coach in professional football. So Paul Robeson was just, again, a man of many, many talents. And with that, I'd like us to listen to a little bit about him speak here on the interview.
0: Uh, how is it that, that the American Negro, who for so long has been a second-class citizen in is, the United States... Still is, I'm
1: sorry. Uh, well, how, long, how is it that he's contributed so much to American <coughs> culture? Well, Music, dance, yeah. everything you can think well, of. Well, I have to be very modest about that. <laughs> I would say certainly as we look at the African peoples in Nigeria, for example, I just got a wonderful invitation to go to Nigeria to be present at the installation, at the, uh, at the uh, uh, Governor General, Ezeque, an old friend, who will now, and, I, and I had to cable him. I'm in Australia. I certainly would like to be with you. But I'm out here with some good folks, but I'll get to Nigeria later. Mr. Coribson, so, do you feel uh, that Africa is to some extent an affinity for it, a home, or do you still feel America is essentially your home? How do you feel with Well let me come here. Yeah, I'll mm-hmm. come to that in just a second. But to come back to it, so I would say the Africans and the American Negroes have turned out to be an extraordinarily gifted people. The great tragedy is that by not making us full class citizens as yet in America, they may be losing, I don't know how much yet. That's all. And to come back, I would say that unquestionably I am an American, born there, uh, my father slave there upon the backs of my people was developed the primary wealth of america Mm. the primary wealth you have to have accumulated wealth to start you know to build Mm. you did it another way here in australia you you know you had to build your accumulated wealth too Mm. you just came and took it you know what Mm. i mean and that's what they did in most (laughs) of the countries that's what you west that's what you (laughs) europeans did you just took it we got to catch up with you a little bit (laughs) and so in america so There's a lot of America that belongs to me yet. You understand? Mm -hmm. But just like a Scottish American is proud of being from Scotland, Mm -hmm. I'm proud for being African. Now, in our school books, they tried to tell me that all Africans were savages till I got to London and found most of the Africans I knew were going to Oxford and Cambridge (laughs) and doing very well and and learned their culture. Uh, And even once somebody had the temerity after one had had conquered the Chinese people and imposed upon them the opium trade and everything else to suggest that they were a backward people, just the people who had been civilized so long over the rest of you folks didn't make any sense at all. So somewhere uh, it was wonderful to find about the colored peoples of the world that they were very advanced. So I would say today that I'm an American who is infinitely prouder to be of African descent, no question about it, no question about it. I'm an Afro-American, and I don't use the word American ever loosely again. Now, this was That's the feeling, right. this was the feeling That's uh, right. that, that when you you're in London about 19, say, 37, 38, you really had the world at your feet then. I mean, you you're a tremendous success. You were recognized over the world, and yet you went back to America. Was this, right. this was the feeling that took you back? I it? felt I had to go back to my people. That's right. The, go, the going was tough, mm-hmm. and uh, today I can go back. I just had my passport renewed. I could go back to pretty tough times now. But any time I could get a telegram next week that the Negro people had gathered somewhere in one of their conferences, as they could, and say, Paul, in the, dif- in the difficulties that are going on in America, would you come back and help us? I would take the plane as soon as I finished my engagement.
2: Mm. Paul Robeson. You know, during the 1940s, uh, Robeson challenged U.S. President Harry Truman to support an anti-lynching law. He protested the growing Cold War and worked tirelessly for friendship and respect between the U.S. and the USSR. In 1945, Robeson openly questioned why blacks should fight in the army of a government that tolerated racism. Because of his outspokenness, he was accused by the House Un-American Activities Committee of being a communist. The allegation almost destroyed his career. And in 1950, the U.S. rescinded Robeson's passport, leading him to an eight year battle to regain it and his ability to travel abroad. And he always would uh, he actually would come to be known for this song. Um, We're going to play that for you right here and now. And it was uh, it actually became his own personal anthem. There's an old
8: man called the Mississippi. That's the old man I don't like to be. What does he care if the world's got troubles? What does he care if the land... say nothing he just keeps rolling he keeps on rolling along
5: and you gets a little drunk and you lands in jail became you show a little grit and you land in jail
8: them that plans him is soon forgotten but old man river he just keeps rolling show a little
2: Robeson, you know, he made a brief comeback as a stage performer in the late 50s and early 60s, uh, as he became more involved in the growing civil rights movement. Uh, you know, he suffered from double pneumonia and a kidney blockage in 1965, which um, forced him to permanently retire from public life. And he lived in seclusion in Philadelphia, Pennsylvania. Robeson died in that city on January 23, 1976. Following complications from a stroke. He was 77. We will miss you, Paul Robeson. Oh, yeah. And all of our April birthday folk. And so, with that, what I'd like to do is start to segue to May Day. Hey, 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 May Day. Welcome,
9: Frank. Franklin. Yep, this is Free Willin' Franklin. Free Willin' Franklin. That's me. What's going on, everyone? Um, Thank you, Steve, for giving me this couple minutes at the end of the show. I want to let everybody out there know that the apprenticeship program is going to be part of a huge May Day broadcast. that's going to happen on kpfa.org. And um, if you're interested in May Day, International Workers' Day, it's coming up in just a couple weeks here. And we want to let you know that we have created a special Facebook page. It's called... Pacifica Radio Mayday Broadcast. So get on Facebook, go to Pacifica Radio Mayday Broadcast, like our page, and there you could find out some great information that's coming up. Um, we're posting a lot of art, music, um, action dates and times. So yeah, check out our Pacifica Radio Mayday Broadcast Facebook. Then also um, stick around on Mayday itself. Check that Facebook page. Starting in the morning on May Day, Steve Zelser, Workweek Radio, and a, a crew of other people will be out at the port of Oakland to bring you the kickoff of May Day, which will be the ILWU, the teachers unions, and they're going to uh, rally at the port at Howard Terminal. Then they're going to march over to Oscar Grant Plaza, which is where we will be, The Apprentices, and tune in to our Facebook page, Pacifica Radio Mayday Broadcast, or kpfa.org at 2 p.m. on Mayday, and check out our live video broadcast. So um, stay tuned throughout the week and next week and the following week for more details. We're going to get some more in-depth interviews. But just... Get on our page and like it. Pacifica Radio Mayday Broadcast. Go to that Facebook page like that. And um, keep your ears peeled for Mayday Broadcast and tune in to that Facebook page on Mayday starting at 9 a.m. Steve, we'll throw it on back to you. And thanks for uh, giving me that moment. I appreciate it.
2: Hey, hey, no problem. Great. Fantastic. Always want to know what's happening in the community. Mayday. Mayday. Oscar Grant Plaza. Be there I won't say B-square, but be there. Be there. Well, this is going to bring us uh, to the end of tonight's show. Uh, we're going to tune, please tune in. Please, please tune in next week to Full Circle at 7 o'clock p.m. right here on KPFA 94.1 FM. Uh, you can also check out our archive shows on kpfaapprentice.org. And I'd like to make sure that we thank our executive producer, Miss M., our technical director, you just heard him, Mr. Frank Sterling. Our production consultant is Joy Moore. And we want to give a special thanks to our production and technical assistant, Hannah Wilson. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Group 44 Audacity in the house. All right. All right. And holding down the controls and serving as host, I am Stevie G. Group 43 Dry Long, so rising at your service. So with that, I'd like us to go out. Uh, We didn't quite get him in, but I don't want us to forget Mr. Charles Mingus. So we're going to play one of his great pieces, Goodbye Pork Pie Hat. Here we go.